The Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. There is something meditative in this ride, despite the noise, as with all train journeys. The process of heading down a defined track at a steady pace, being in the landscape and not entirely of it, prompted contemplation, especially if you could see ahead. With nothing to view but nature from my forward vantage point, I felt as though I could watch it all day. Occasionally, a fragment of the 21st century would rudely impose itself on our 19th century simulacrum. We'd been following roughly the main road between Normanton and Croydon, and for a period, we ran right beside it. At 32 miles from Normanton, the train stopped at a large train-shaped mailbox for Hayden Station, one of the bigger cattle stations in the area. And one of the train crew hopped down to deliver letters in a parcel containing a satellite TV set-top box. I liked seeing the train still being used for a practical purpose it would have fulfilled throughout its history. Somewhere on the stretch to Blackpool, I nodded off. An unlikely thing to happen given the jolting, but somehow caused by the rocking movement of the train. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Tim Richards is a seasoned travel writer who has contributed to the Lonely Planet guidebooks and travel books including The Kick of Stalin's Cow, and the fantasy adventure novel, Mind the Gap. He fell into travel writing after living in Egypt and Poland, and is especially drawn to the former communist countries of Central and Eastern Europe. He's an advocate for traveling light. Today, I'm talking to Tim about his latest book, Heading South, Far North Queensland to Western Australia by Rail, a book that celebrates the history, the people, and the joys of train travel in Australia. It's published by Fremantle Press. Tim, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks for having me. What is it about travelling by train that beats merely getting to your destination as quickly as you can? When you're travelling by train, you're in the landscape, but you're not of the landscape. So you're passing through it. You're on these rails. You're not impeded by traffic. You're not in a metal tube where you can't see anything in the air. you've got full view of everything, but there's a smooth ride. I mean, you get held up occasionally, but generally speaking, it's this feeling of experiencing the world while still sort of sliding through it autonomously. I think there's something psychological that's very appealing about that. And your journey begins in Normanton, a remote town near the Gulf of Carpentaria. Why did you choose that as your starting point? And what kind of town is Normanton? There's a a lovely um, website called railmaps.com.au. And um, because all our train companies in Australia are, are state-based rather than national, there isn't really a sort of national railway map, but this website has one. And you look at it, and I looked at it and thought, oh, you know, that's interesting. I wonder what the longest journey is you could do on connected up rail around Australia. And you start to look up at far north Queensland. And then there's a little railway all by itself, not connected to the rest of the Queensland network that runs from a place called Normanton population 1200 to a place called Croydon population 500 it's also known as the train from nowhere to nowhere and it's a it's an amazing train so I thought I really do have to start there and then I can hop over to the Savannah Lander which is the next train and from there you can have uninterrupted rail travel all the way around the country to Western Australia so it was a starting point 
But then when I looked into it, it's a fascinating train. It's a really interesting pioneer railway. It's an unusual track um, that was built to, um, to be able to travel through floodwaters and has done so ever since the 1890s. It's the weirdest little train there is. Uh, so it was a great place to start because of all the places I was traveling to, this is one where, where um, I wasn't familiar with. And it has quite a quaint name, as I understand. Oh, Tin Hair. I believe that's a reference to the, uh, the lures in greyhound racing and dog racing that used to run around the, the track. I think they were nicknamed Tin Hair. And so it is this funny looking metallic rail motor kind of uh, vehicle where the driver is up front with you, like in a bus. Uh, so it's a funny looking thing. And um, it is it, a strange little journey. I mean, in the old days, there were towns all along the route. It was a gold rush era train. Uh, but now it's wilderness, but it's a really interesting um, savannah landscape, very thinly treed landscape, wallabies, native birds, waterways, really interesting journey that takes a few hours. And it's a very rattly, old fashioned kind of train journey as well. Your journey takes you down the east coast of Australia, through Queensland and then on into New South Wales. I understand that uh, your accent was questioned. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, I was getting a bit of that in Queensland, you know, there's that sort of, and I noticed that anyway, when you go outside cities, sometimes the, there's a real full on Aussie accent. And I think mine is not like that at all. And I did spend a lot of time living overseas teaching English. And I think I became a bit British for a while uh, and then sort of wandered back towards Australia. And so I, apparently I have a Melbourne accent or whatever. Um, but yes, that was interesting. So as you travel down the coast, uh, you, well, you took a well-earned break in Melbourne, your hometown, which included a side trip to French Island. What was the purpose of the uh, stopover in your hometown? And well, what was the attraction to French Island? Well, I realised as I was travelling, so I started in far north Queensland where I hadn't been. It was near the final campsite at Burke and Wills on their um, Trans-Australian journey. When I got to Melbourne, I went and interviewed an academic at uh, the Royal Society of Victoria about Burke and Wills. So I, I linked up that part of the journey. But also I remembered I'd been to French Island once before and you can get down there by rail from Melbourne and in a ferry because it's near Phillip Island. And it's a strange place. There is no bridge, there's no general public access. It's off the grid, in a, it's not part of a Shire Council. People drive around without license plates on. It's, it's a strange sort of no place. And it's had a really weird history of failed enterprises failed farming industries and it was intended to be the site of a nuclear power station back in the 70s and that failed as well and it's just a very mysterious interesting place and it's quite hard to to get there or stay there uh, so it was good to join a, a, a quite a new tour on a four-wheel drive vehicle and see the place including the national park there and then be able to stay overnight next to the uh, general store, which is the only central business of any sort there. So it's just made a nice tale. It's an interesting place that's quite close to Melbourne, but is quite mysterious and interesting. And while this book is about travel, and particularly rail travel, it seems to me to be just as much about people as it is about travel. I half expected to encounter some kind of crocodile Dundee character in the pages of Heading South. Is that particular Australian archetype a myth or are they still out there? I must say when I arrived at Normanton to get there, I'd, I'd flown to Cairns and I, I did, this is not in the book, but I took a, a 10 hour bus journey out to Normanton and this bus runs every second day or so. 
And because it runs at you know bus speed over hundreds of kilometers, you get this great unrolling of the outback from Cairns westward through the rainforest, then through savannah or farming land, then savannah and so on. And when I got to Normanton, it really is a funny old, you know, Aussie crocodile dundee kind of place. The pub I was staying at was an old, a very old building that I think had been something like a blacksmith in its day. And there were blokes around the bar with their Akubras propping it up. Uh, and it really was a sort of outback town. I mean, it's cattle farming out that way. So I suppose they serve that industry. But yes, I really did want it to be about people. So I'm usually pretty open when I'm traveling, but I was being extra open. I was talking to everyone. I was being open to be talked to. Uh, I did meet some fun people and I was desperately writing down those conversations in notes either just after I had them or actually during them, I would say to people, I'm writing a book, do you mind if I jot this down? Um, and uh, I was really pleased with that because I was able then to bring these people in via dialogue. Tables had been set up in the space between the train and the derelict former post office and railway station buildings. It was a clever idea to dine under the sky in this forgotten corner of the outback amplifying the contrast of the comfort aboard with the emptiness outside. Food was being catered from the train's galleys to the tables with sunset succeeded by stars as we ate. I was seated next to Derek, a bloke in an Akubra who worked for a Sydney company that recycled building materials. As we worked through the main course, lamb or fish with roast vegetables, we talked about his job. Bricks, stone, concrete, we crush it, mate. Makes good road surfacing. A man seated across from us heard this and chimed in. I collect bricks, he said. I have a big pile of them outside the back of my place. My whole yard's full of them. For a moment, I thought he was joking. He had a laconic delivery style that hinted he might be taking the piss. But when I asked about his oldest brick, he had an answer. It's from 1865. The year is written on it. They were demolishing a house in Maitland and most of the bricks were going to the council's museum. I asked, can I have one? A few weeks later, it turned up on my doorstep. Ian was concerned about Derek's job. Please don't crush too many bricks, he said. Sorry, mate, it's how we make money, said Derek. Then thoughtfully, as if concerned for Ian's feelings. We never see those convict bricks anyway. I had started out thinking Ian eccentric, but his enthusiasm for bricks was strangely infectious. As he explained the origins and properties of his collection, some older bricks needed to keep damp apparently, so it was fine to keep them in his backyard. I started to see the heritage appeal. Every brick had a story, as it were. Mind you, my family want me to put them all in a skip. For storage, I asked. No, to chuck them out, said Ian with a smile, aware at least of how his hobby could look to others. I asked Derek if he was proud of his recycling work. Well, we're all gonna run out of landfill eventually, right? Of course, one of the highlights of uh, travelling by train is a visit to the dining car. And I wondered, are the joys of the dining car really a joy or more often an offence to the palate and the digestion? Uh, well, it's interesting because of the eight trains, obviously, you've got this mix of state-run trains and privately-run trains aimed at tourists. Uh, so something like the Indian Pacific nowadays is a luxury rail cruise. So going to the dining car there is an absolute delight because the food is very impressive. It uses ingredients for the landscape that are passing through. You have some great company. Everyone's in a good mood. The alcohol is included in the fare. 
uh, and so you're having a great time. The state-run trains is always a bit iffy. The uh, the New South Wales trains, although I must admit they're very cheap, but you know the food's a bit hit and miss. Um, the breakfast you get given on the sleeper train from uh, Sydney to Melbourne is uh, is uh, strange and mysterious, and um, uh, and uh, even the spirit of Queensland, the food's a little bit like airline food, but so it is, it is hit and miss. I must say, I think I was having uh, better luck when I reached the cities between the trains. It seems to me that uh, rail travel might be something like time travel. Not really. I think trains are not a thing of the past. They're a thing of the present. They should be a thing of the future. And if you're in Europe now, there's a huge revival going on of sleeper trains. We all thought they were dead about seven years ago. Everyone was writing articles about the death of sleeper trains. And since then, with Greta Thunberg and all the environmental concerns, um, there has been a huge resurgence in sleeper trains uh, in Europe. Uh, and we can only hope that that might spread to places like here in the US and uh, other places that could benefit from not having to fly so much. So I don't, think, I don't think trains are a thing of the past. You seem to also have a particular interest in the grand architecture of our central stations. Is that oh, something you've always had an interest in? Yes, there's something special about uh, railway architecture. And you think about it. I went to the, in the book, I go to the oldest still standing station in Queensland. In fact, I think it has always been the oldest station in Queensland in a place called Grandchester. Um, and it's an interesting period because you think about it, people designing train stations had to work from scratch. They thought, what do people waiting for a train need? Um, so you, you had coach houses before, but they probably weren't the same as, as a railway station, uh, didn't have the same sort of needs for luggage or food or shelter or whatever. So it's quite interesting to see early ones. Um, this lovely one in Grantchester is really a bit more like a lovely country home with a veranda, you know, and because the station master lived there as well. So it has a lovely sense of somewhere you could live. And then, of course, at the other end, you've got ones like um, Central Station in Sydney, which is uh, just, you know, over 100 years old. Very grand. And there's that sense of confidence that railways are part of our identity. They, they are who we are. They show that we're progressing. And Southern Cross Station here in Melbourne, which is only about 20 years old, uh, also hugely grand 21st century statement of architecture. And bus stations are always horrible concrete boxes. So uh, it is interesting how we use trains or the architecture around trains to sort of show confidence and progress even now. In the final chapter of your journey, you take the 843 bus from Bunbury to Daliella. It made me think that your journey wasn't just about travel writing, but something more personal too. What was in Dalyalup for you? Well, it's Dalyalup is a suburb, a fairly new suburb of uh, the city of Bunbury, which is in um, the southwest of WA, about 200 k's south of Perth. And Bunbury is where I was born. And uh, the southwest region of WA is where I grew up. And my dad, is, who's now in his mid-80s, is retired and lives in Dalyalup. Um, and I guess the journey felt like I, like I mentioned before that I was going from the, the quite alien and remote and outback through kind of the present day through traveling through where I live now uh, and ending up where I was born it felt like it was a little bit of going back in time taking stock and I thought at the end I thought I should interview my dad because he's 85 uh, and if we can talk about the railways he remembers the railways when he was a kid, which were quite different in Western Australia from what they are now. Uh, and then we can, I can also ponder more the thing I've been pondering right throughout the book, which is 
does my career have a future? Uh, what should I be doing? How should I be tackling um, this sense of uh, decline? Um, perhaps I can take some lessons here just by chatting with him about railways in the past and what he's done. Uh, and um, that, was, that was good. I think that was a good way because really I didn't think there was an exact precise answer. I didn't have a huge revelation, but I could learn things as I went along and I felt that was a, a nice way to conclude it. And do you have other similar journeys across Australia for armchair travellers like myself planned? Well, actually, because, you know, this one was so fascinating to do, but there are so many railways on that map I mentioned, which I haven't covered. There are a lot of uh, country railways in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria and so on, which I just completely missed because I was sticking to the, the main lines. So I wouldn't mind starting in Mount Isa and just weaving down. And this time, instead of focusing on big cities, focusing on regional cities or regional towns or even small towns and weaving around and saying, okay, we can see that railways have a present and the future in the big cities, but what, are, what do they mean to small places? Are they just something of the past or is there, are they still intertwined with the, you know, how a place works and what it, what it means and the way people think of it? So I'd get to places like Longreach uh, and Winton and some of the outback New South Wales destinations, uh, maybe spend some time in Broken Hill and then perhaps get the GAN at the end. So instead of ending with the Indian Pacific, or that was the second last train, ending with the GAN, so have a completely different train and end in Darwin. Um, so I wouldn't mind doing a sequel because again, there's a lot more rail history, um, but a quite adventurous history and quite an interesting history. And so I think there are a lot of rail stories still to be told. Well, I certainly look forward to the next instalment and it's been great talking to you, Tim. So thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. I've been talking to Tim Richards about his latest book, Heading South, Far North Queensland to Western Australia by Rail. It's published by Fremantle Press and it's available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. This is Greg Dobbs for the Good Reading Podcast and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxuried. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxuried subscription today? Visit luxuried.com.au to find out how.